Hello, I'm Jessica Benoist Young. And I'm Melanie Reed. And this is Best Line. Worst Line. I think you all know the drill by now. And if you don't, it's in the name. So, this also, week. I'm not sure we know the drill, <laughs> so it's okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, this week, we are traveling back in time to a formative Oscars event uh, for our. Two hosts, myself and Melanie Reef. So we're talking about the what seventy fifth? Seventy fifth? Is this the ninety fifth this year? Uh sure. It's either the seventy fourth or seventy fifth, and I want to say it's the seventy fifth is what we're going I back to. I want to agree with you. Uh two thousand films released in two thousand two, ceremony taking place in two thousand three. We, uh, and, we also, for this podcast, will discuss Adaptation, which was a big hitter that year. But in modern times, this film that we're talking about this week is one of the biggest Oscar heavy hitters we've seen in, uh, in the 2000s, I'd say. Oh, I would say yeah. so. So it is so fitting that we have our guest on this week. She is an actor, newly based in New York City, as well as one half of the movie podcast, Double Exposure, Um, and really relevant to this episode. She has been obsessing over movies her entire life, and in particular, this movie for, gah, this is in the bio, gah, multiple decades. (laughs) I put it in the bio, yes. Yeah. Which also happens to be how long she and Melanie have been friends. And as I said before, our friendship is due to this movie. Please welcome Stacy Robinson to Best Line Worst Line. Yay! Hello. So happy to be here. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, so the movie we are talking this, about this week, as Jessica kind of pinched about, is a heavy hitter that won the Oscar for Best Picture in 2003 and really was the first musical in a very long time to be nominated and win an Oscar. It was the well, I guess Moulin Rouge was just the year, year before, before, but I don't but count. I don't count Moulin Rouge. The first... Did Moulin Rouge win an Oscar? It was nominated It won for... some Oscars, but not best... Not, nothing major, I don't think. And it was... But it was nominated for yeah. Best Picture. But this was the first musical oh. to win Best Picture since Oliver in 1968. Mm-hmm. That is a huge gap. That is a huge gap. And I mean, musical movies, I I don't think there is a better made musical movie since 2003. I agree. This is my gold standard of Mm -hmm. musical movies. Um, I agree. And of course, we are talking about Chicago. And as it was the 20th anniversary of, of when it won the Oscar, it is very fitting. So I feel like it's fitting then that I tell how Stacy and I became friends because it is due to this movie. Like this, like Chicago is the origin story of our friendship. We were at a <laughs> um, birthday party at Benihana. It, it couldn't have been Benihana. It was some, <laughs> because we were sitting across the table from each other and it was a long table. Okay, I can okay, picture okay. the table. It couldn't have been Benihana. Um, but we were at some 
like I can picture the room, yes, but I have no mem- memory of like eat. what the restaurant was no, or what food we were eating. Maybe it was like macaroni grill or something like that because I remember like writing. We had to have had something to write on the. That sounds like macaroni grill. Yeah, yeah, like write on the um, tablecloth or like with crayons. Because we started talking, I don't remember how we got into conversation about this. I think we were in French class together. Maybe it's spoken a couple of times. This was a mutual uh-huh. friend's birthday party. And somehow we got on the discussion of Chicago. We did not stop the rest of the evening, I don't think. I feel like we were playing Hangman. Like I could have made that up. About like musicals. Were we Oh, like- I thought you got you were gonna say that you guys like drew the like drew scenes from the movie <laughs> on I, the table storyboarded like right there <laughs> you're like this is when she shot the bastard <laughs> yeah we, i don't remember the restaurant i just remember friendship being born and i feel was the movie like in theaters yes at the time? it was in theaters yeah, at the it time like, just it was out. in the theater for and a we long were both time at, like our peak obsession yeah I, and I think it was just one of those moments where it was like, oh, you're one of my people. Yes. I can talk about this for three hours with you. Which we <laughs> did. I think we ignored all other people at this birthday party and just talked about this and Moulin Rouge and other like musicals of the time. Right. And right. since then, like our friendship throughout middle school and high school so was like cemented by musicals and movies like we watched i remember watching the jekyll david hasselhoff jekyll and hyde which is so bad it's so bad i remember your mom walking through and being like you guys shouldn't be laughing this is not funny and we were (laughs) dying it's so funny and like every like another formative memory is rent like rent is very much a was big thing for stacy and i and uh, dancing around your kitchen, making Christmas cookies, listening to Rent. Yep. And it's all because of Chicago. So it's very fitting that we have Stacey. It's the one that started it all. It's the one that started And we haven't stopped. No. We have, not, we have gone on being our musical obsessed selves for however many years. I, let's, not, let's not go into numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did say when this movie came out. So. <laughs> well, anyway... <laughs> But anyway, um, it's I'm so glad you're here with us because when Jessica suggested doing Chicago, I was like, I have the perfect guest. I know who we're getting. I'm honestly, I'm so excited and I have so much to say. Like, you're going to have to hold me back because <laughs> we like that. <laughs> we, I've, I've only have more opinions now than I did when I was 12. <laughs> this has been one that's been on our list, like that Melanie has been talking about since the very beginning we really have Mm -hmm. like shied away from doing musicals i think because they're hard they're hard they don't follow the Mm -hmm. same script formula as other genres and because like if we open that to like any old musical we will turn this podcast into a musical podcast so like we've been really selective and we did my favorite musical and so we're doing uh or my favorite musical movie adaptation and so Mm -hmm. i I would guess that this is probably yours melanie this is so i would say this is my favorite musical movie adaptation i like all of the recent musical movie adaptations pretty much everyone since chicago i have such high hopes for I'm like, oh, like the trailers. I'm like, this looks so good. They're, They're going to do get it. This right. They're going to nail it. They're going to do don't. it. 
And then they they don't. Like, Les Mis was one that I was like, this is gonna be it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is gonna be a thing. And then I was like, and we cast Russell Crowe. I don't think that that was really what did it, though, for me with Les Mis. Like, I, I know everybody hates Russell Crowe's casting, and that's totally fair. But to me, I think a, a, an issue that I see with so many musical adaptations, and Les Mis falls in that category, is like, Kind of taking itself too seriously, like doing this hyper-realism thing where everything has to be like, you know, it can't be like a musical in like a gay way. Right. You know, it has to be a musical in like this hyper-straight, like hyper-realistic way. And to me, it just kind of sucked. Like Into the Woods had the same problem. It was like, you kind of sucked all the life out of it. And that's what works so well with Chicago is that they're like interweaving it with the actual like vaudevillian cabaret musical Mm -hmm. numbers. You just sit there, like, we're talking about seeing the movie. Like, I remember sitting there in the theater just going, like, I've never seen anything like this. And you're just, you Mm -hmm. know you're watching something that is, like, just truly groundbreaking. And... And I do like that, that it doesn't take itself too seriously as a film. And then that ends up making it, like, a perfect film. And to your point, Stacey, I think the, like, I think exactly that. They take themselves too seriously. And, like, Les so Mis many people. Les was Oscar like, baiting. Oh, my God. They yes. wanted it. And they thought they yeah, had but, it. And you go too hard in that. And people know. It's, yeah. no, because it's, like, the thing is, like, as you were saying, it's, like, they take themselves too seriously and then it takes everything that makes a musical a musical out of it. Like, I think that's why, honestly, I think my other favorite recently made musical movie is Mamma Mia. Oh yeah. Because it's just fun. Mm -hmm. And like everything that everybody hates about, or not everybody, the people who hate musicals, I think what musical movies, the recently made musical movies do is they go in because people will say like, Oh, well nobody just like breaks out into song mid sentence. And it's like, well, you're not hanging out with the right people. But also... Um, <laughs> but wouldn't it be better also, if they did? They did. And it was all I ABBA? Like, I mean, come on. Right. But I think that's... The, but like for things like... Uh, what's one that I was like, oh, that could have been so good and it wasn't? Jersey Boys, maybe. I see. I didn't see that one. Okay. It was Clint Eastwood. He, why, why did Clint Eastwood direct it? Or like the... It's like... It takes, it tries to make it normal that people are breaking out into song to advance story. Right. And it's like, no, this is campy. Mm-hmm. Like musicals. Right. I mean, Les Mis isn't campy. Exactly. It's not. Embrace, embrace the camp. Right. If you, like, that's the thing I, I think I find kind of offensive is like, if you're not a musicals person, why are you making a musical? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is why like, like some the, of the more successful um, ones. The Into the Woods adaptation to me really suffered from that too where it was like trying to somehow inject more story or more seriousness in or make things more More, realistic and it's like this is a perfect thing already you just also more realistic it is fairy tales right it's literally they tried to go so dark fantasy with it yes or like rent too like rent isn't campy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but actually i will say i'm gonna take it back there is another musical movie that I think is perfect and it came out in the last few years. And Jess, I don't know if you've seen it yet, which Tick, Tick, Boom. Ah, I have not watched that one yet. I need to. But it was directed by a musical person. It was directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I think that that really, like I liked um, In the Heights too. Yeah. It wasn't perfect, but it was enjoyable. And I think that's where, you know, Rob Marshall did Chicago. And for me, going back to 
like why I love this movie so much and have problems with other musical movies is I did not see the musical first in Chicago. I didn't. I saw never seen it live. I have now, but, and it's so different. And so I think had I seen the musical first, I'm not sure I would have liked the movie as much because I would have wanted the musical, but because I saw the movie first and it's so different, maybe, maybe it, it would have been different in general, but because they take, they, they don't shy away from the camp. Like the musical of Chicago is camp. It is camp, 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 campy. But the movie, they don't shy away from it, but they ground it. And the framing of it as rock, as the musical elements are Roxy's dream world is brilliant framing for, it's, it's why, it's why this movie works. Because if you had tried it, to play it, it straight, is. that these songs just happen in Chicago in the courtroom, yeah. it would have not worked. And by framing it as this is Roxy's dream world. Because on stage, you can do the campy vaudeville thing and it plays. Mm -hmm. That doesn't play Mm -hmm. in this world. So Rob Marshall deciding that that's how he's going to frame this movie is a stroke of genius. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, it feels, this movie feels like such a clear example of when someone really had a vision going in. It wasn't just like, oh, how do we make this work? It was like... I know exactly how mm-hmm. this can work. I need to figure it out. Like, it was like a puzzle, you know? Like, how can we make this number make sense? Like, how can we have this transition into the fantasy? How can we have the audience get it and have it not start to become repetitive or boring? And you really feel yes. that, that there's this sense of, of fully understanding, like, I know how this works on stage, and I know why that wouldn't work on film, and this is how we can, like... Mm-hmm bridge that gap yes and it just is so yeah and it wasn't it wasn't like what we're talking about in in the cases of other musical films is like it wasn't this just like squeeze it in and make it fit and make it make sense it is a huge Mm -hmm. picture the whole Mm -hmm. thing just melds together and it's so nice because you actually get like the taste of the stage musical while you're watching Mm -hmm. the film so it's almost, the, I mean, I know that the stage musical is much different, but like... Well, because they bring the yeah, stage you, to you, you get to but see rather what, than it feeling like, oh, we're just mm-hmm. watching people on stage, it be, it makes sense with the conceit of, well, Roxy wants to be on yeah. stage, so everything right. is framed around her fantasy life that she's just escaping into being a performer. Right. And then we as an audience identify with that because who doesn't love a story of like a dreamer who, right. you know, especially, is escaping into this fantasy world. Especially when you're faced with like harsh realities, like being in prison for murder. Mm-hmm. I It dawned on me this time watching it because I was watching it for a more critical eye um, that the only songs, and I'm sure I picked this up before, but the only songs that are in quote unquote real life are the beginning and the ending. Mm-hmm. So all that jazz is in real life. Like that one exists in the grounded mm-hmm. real world, yep. which mm-hmm. makes sense because it's in a cabaret club. Mm-hmm. It's where we see Roxy start. It's And she has that flash of dream life when she sings that jazz in that one spot mm-hmm. because she wants to be on stage. But that's real life. That's And it's grounded. It makes sense. It's in a club. The other one that we see at the end is when they're on the big stage and Velma and Roxy are performing, which also makes sense because mm-hmm. they are now living out that fantasy of being on stage as performers. Everything else mm-hmm. 
It looks like they're on stage. It looks like they're performing, but it's all Roxy's dream world. Mm-hmm. And it is genius conceit. It is a brilliant, it's the, to me, it's the, what makes, as we said, that what makes this movie work. Right. And it's so beautifully symmetrical too, for it to come full circle mm-hmm. like that, that now she really is on stage for the first time. It's not just her in her head on stage. She's actually with there. Velma, who is the person that she mm-hmm. saw at the beginning. Like it is exactly. so narratively tight. And I think that's to me, what made it very hard to choose a worse line because yeah. this movie, and this is what we've found in movies that are so like we did, we did an episode on, um, I think it hasn't come out yet, but we, um, we did an episode on Disney yeah. uh, movies too. And those are so carefully constructed and so meticulous. You don't have thought time out. for an erroneous, exactly. li- erroneous, an erroneous Nine. line when you have, a, when you have an <laughs> hour's worth of musical numbers to get through. I mean, that's right. really yeah. half of this movie is musical numbers. And so when you have all of that, to get through your plot, your actual dialogue that advances the plot is like this. I mean, it's just moving and it's tight. You can't waste any words. You can't say anything that, you know, has no consequence. Like, yeah, I think I definitely saw that with this movie more so than 1776, but that's because 1776 well, because is a lot like of dialogue. Three hours. <laughs> They're it's like, we're like just going to... a lot of dialogue. It's like they it's, did the whole movie it's and the then... Opposite. <laughs> that That movie would still be the same without music. Like, you would still get yes. the same, but that's not the case with most musicals. It's very different. It's a different movie. I'm curious, um, because I also have not seen this... I've only seen the movie of Chicago. Right. I haven't seen it on stage. I'm actually curious, like, how much of the dialogue bits, I know that there are some musical oh. numbers that are cut, but, like, how much of the dialogue was actually invented for right. the movie and how much of it yeah, was in the original show? That's a good question. Well, I know at the beginning, from what I understand of the show, and Stacy, we'll have to have you on and just, like, report back as, like, an addendum piece. Yes, After yes, you I'm see, going to see it. Jinx Monsoon. I know. I'm so jealous. Oh my god. I'm just going to die of happiness. I am so, so. jealous. Um, as Mama Morton on Broadway. <laughs> um, but I think Roxy in the musical, I'm pretty sure like her shooting Fred Casely, like I, she's much more flippant in the musical mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. much more kind of brash and like not the, not how Renee Zellweger plays her at all. Yeah, I my understanding is that the scene uh, right after all that jazz, mm-hmm. which I think is such a brilliant scene narratively, where we see her and Fred, and at first you think that it's that same night, but then you realize as they're talking, it's actually later. Because mm-hmm. she's talking about like, oh, I remember that night when yeah. Velma Kelly got arrested. We see her motivation in killing him, and it becomes something that we're actually invested in and that we and that we, we actually kind of identify with her character in some way was wondering how that works in the musical because it's my understanding we don't get any of that. I agree. I, I from what I understand too. Though I think Jess, this was one of the first movies you and I watched when we were watching movies at the beginning of twenty twenty in the pandemic. Um remotely we were streaming some movies together and I hadn't seen Chicago in ages. It had been years since I'd seen it. I did see it six Yeah, same it, here. I did see it six times in theaters and I'd seen it since then. But um to say I was obsessed is like 
the biggest understatement in the world. But I hadn't watched it in a really long time when we watched it. And I had the same experience watching it for this. It's like, this is like, it holds up. There are so many movies of that time when I was like 12, 13, that I'm just like, oh, this is like one of my favorite movies. Like, this is what I felt with Legally Blonde. I'm like, Legally Blonde is a good movie because it's well, like, it's well acted. It's well done. But like, it's not as good as I remember it being. Chicago is as good, if not better, than I remember it being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I, in the light of, like, what we were talking about, too. Like, seeing so many movie musicals. Like, this really spurred on the current generation yes. of movie musicals. Seeing all of that just kind of fall flat or just not reach expectations. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and watch Chicago, which just, like, nailed it above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Flying colors. It just, like, makes you appreciate what they were able to accomplish even mm-hmm. more, knowing how many other movies went for something similar and just didn't get it. Stacey, you were going to say something to that. Oh, yeah. Just that I hadn't uh, watched it probably since high school until you messaged me about doing this. And I rewatched it and I wasn't really sure what to expect. I mean, I, I remembered it pretty well because I think I watched it probably like a hundred times. We watched <laughs> back <a> then. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes you revisit stuff that you loved as a kid or as a teenager and... And it doesn't really hold up. And this, honestly, is even better than I than I remembered. Yeah. I would say in in the realm of like, especially uh, best picture winners, uh, this has got to have stayed in the top ten of of Oscar winners that holds up. And I, it's got to be one of the strongest entries into yeah. the best picture legacy that I can. And think that of. was, and we've talked about this or this will come up again when we talk the adaptation episode. Um, but like that year was a very strong year for Oscars too. Like it had adaptation, it had Unfaithful, which has also Richard Gere. It had The Hours, it Gangs, Gangs of New of York. New York. It had a very strong set of contenders for Best Picture. And I never and it was so clear that Chicago was gonna win. Like it was Oh yeah. It was like these are all excellent movies and Chicago is going to win. And, like, it was so clear that Catherine Zeta-Jones was going to... Like, I mean, her performance in, like, as Velma Kelly, A, unbelievable. B, she was pregnant. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I I say this all the time. I have never never seen anybody work harder Mm -hmm. in a role ever. Like, it's... Yes, obviously, we know that everybody works really, really hard. But you don't see the work on this screen you see the work on the screen like she is but working she... so hard in every single bit that you see but it doesn't like, feel forced the dance numbers it's like no e- i mean it makes it's like effortless yeah. but you see it but so much mm-hmm. no like oh just so, the mm-hmm. dancing mm-hmm. and the singing like she just that was hard work yeah <laughs> on top of like also the hard work of making a movie and being in a movie like it's just insane what she did so much I feel like there's so much going on like obviously she's singing she's dancing she's performing but she just has this way of like her eyelids like amazing eyelid acting like she'll just do a little blink (laughs) and it tells so much it's just like she's she's there's just like every little tiny movement feels so Mm -hmm. um, purposeful and clear yes 
You know what I mean? And I, in that way, I think she's a great foil to Renee Zellweger, who feels much more kind of airy in a way. Which is exactly mm-hmm. what they're supposed to be. Like, that's, it's mm-hmm. so, all of the contrast and everything. And I think that's one of the other reasons why this musical movie works, too, is like, you have big names in here, but it, they all were excellently cast. And I remember when the casting this, was announced, yes. my, mom, my mom was like, Richard Gere? And then, like, he was on yeah. Broadway. He was like, I think. This was the beginning of, like, kind of the modern, um, oh, I didn't know that person could well, sing. But so, okay, I'm gonna... <laughs> you know, because, like, everybody in this movie, it was all, it was very much like that. It was like, oh, I didn't know that person could sing. And then they all could sing, and they could all, like, John C. Riley. Oh, like, my God. Oh, my God, John C. Riley. Yeah. Oh, my God. When you see, when you saw, like, I did the same thing. When we saw the cast for this, and my mom was like, oh, this is like a, this is a Fosse. I mean, we were in the throes of our musical theater education, and so, like, we were very familiar with Fosse and all of that, and mm-hmm. um, we listened to some of the music from this show, I think, before we saw the movie. I, we had actually done some of these numbers like in dance before this movie came out. I think we had done all that jazz. And then after the movie came out, mm-hmm. I know we did like a week because I know I, I still can't quote unquote do the choreography for um, cell block tango. And I say that in okay. quotes because See, I didn't do I that one with her. That split anymore. <laughs> There's none. Mm-mm. Wait, you guys did all that jazz in the first Yeah. Time? Like our dance teacher dance, choreographed. Like- like a oh so fun but then and then like after the movie came out she did a summer workshop like with the movie choreography for for, and i remember doing cell block tango and uh the the gun the gun they both reach for the gun yeah i got Um, to choreograph that yes you did not for ata but i've gotten to do it since then but yeah but like i i definitely remember like when the cast was announced and when we were like looking at going to see this movie and you see all the commercials and stuff and the posters and you're just like, can these people sing? Like, (laughs) you know, Richard Gere, nobody would have ever thought that Richard Gere could sing. Catherine Mm Zeta-Jones was still kind of not the the same level of stardom. Right. She and Queen Latifah were like the least known of the... Everybody knew Queen Latifah could sing because she was a recording artist. Right, but not as an actor. Queen Latifah was known, but not... I guess she had done Living Single at that point, so... But like Renee Zellweger, Renee Zellweger's big, big fame was from... um, Bridget Jones. Bridget Jones. And, but before that, uh, this movie that everybody likes that I've never seen, there you go, Jerry Maguire. And so I think there was definitely like can she sing and she can sing. And so it was very much like, and I think that was kind of this, that was this introduction of this millennia of like, then we definitely had it with into the woods and similar things later where it was like, Oh my God, I didn't know that this like a list actor has a fantastic voice. (laughs) Well, and that's actually been part of the problem too, with some of the movies that we've been talking about, because it's like, they've been cast with these a list actors now and they shouldn't have been like, I'm thinking, like, but some of them have really good voices, <laughs> right? I mean, but but it, but it's it's not universal that they should have been cast. Like Russell Crowe is a perfect mm-hmm. example of that. Like well, he you doesn't have, have a very good voice. No, he doesn't. And like I would even it's venture okay. to say, like in Sweeney Todd, like yeah, Johnny Depp was okay, was fine. Like no, I hated that movie. Um, but Helena Bonham oh, Carter, no. you have Helena Bonham Carter who is amazing, and then you have Johnny Depp who is just like. 
Also, Johnny Depp in Into the Woods. Oh, yeah. Atrocious, I forgot that Atrocious was... performance. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. But so Meryl like, Streep, like, I, Meryl I've, Streep, t- I've had this conversation. Have studied opera? She I've had this like, conversation with music. Melanie before. Probably we watched Mamma Mia on one of our musical nights. I'm sure we did. <sighs> like, she, what, how is this fair? It's not. That Meryl Streep gets to be, like, the best actor of multiple generations. And then mm-hmm. also, I just remember being in the theater when she starts Winner Takes It All Ugh. and just being like, fuck you, Meryl. Like, seriously? <laughs> share, share the talent with someone, for God's sakes. <laughs> I can't remember... I can't remember what it was called, but did you guys see that movie where she's, um, it's based on a true story where she plays this kind of delusional rich woman who wants to give, uh, an opera performance. She yes. wants to sing. It was no, so Flo- good. Florence. Yes. Florence. So good. It's so so good. funny. It's so funny. It was so, <laughs> what is this? So good. I don't. Do you remember the name uh, of it? I'm just going to IMDb. Hugh Meryl Grant Street. plays her husband. This is a real woman. You can find like the actual, yes. um, audio recording, I think on YouTube of this woman who, like had a dream of being an opera singer, thought that she could sing and kind of had people around her telling her that she was good, but she wasn't. Florence good. Foster Jenkins. So she... Oh, okay. thank you. Which she um, was nominated was like, for an Florence Academy Award. Nightingale? No. <laughs> That's <funny. laughs> Um And so she sings the Queen of the Night aria. Mm. And uh, it's, I mean, it's a disaster. And it's just this really kind of, heartbreaking story of somebody who has this dream but is like lacks self-awareness yeah anyway yeah but like i think that's going back to this going back to the movie at hand chicago it it was just cast so well it was done perfect so brilliantly career performances from all of these people yeah who have also had massive wonderful careers (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean and as you were talking about when we, we were talking about this a little bit before, Jess, like the, the songs, I mean, obviously the songs weren't written for the movie, but there's a bunch of songs that were cut from the show because mm-hmm. they are a little too campy or they don't fit this vision. And right. this is genius directing. It's mm-hmm. genius directing. I think it, it's almost easy to take for granted with that sort of thing because when you watch Chicago especially not having seen the show it's really easy to just assume like oh well that's that's how the the show show must be right that's just how it is and if you don't know like once you understand how much was actually changed to adapt it and how brilliant that adaptation was and how it seems it feels obvious once you do it it's like putting a puzzle together it's like oh well of course that number should be cut or of course this goes here of course you need this and that but Mm -hmm. when you're actually doing it those things are not obvious at all and there's so many ways that this could have just not worked. Yeah. Right. I guess Rob Marshall was nominated for Best Director. He didn't win. Um, but What won that year? Um, it wasn't Scorsese. Let's see. To uh, Hold, please. Um, 2003 or 2002. Oh, God. Really? That's problematic. Uh, Roman Polanski. You know. That's right. <gasps> and he wasn't that. That's why I forgot about pianist. it. Because I don't consider it legitimate. Yeah. It should oh, have been. It should, it should have, have been. been Rob Marshall. Oh, well, it yeah. should have never been given to Roman Polanski in the first place. No. 
even if it was deserved, which I, the pianist is a fantastic film. Wonderful. But he should not have been allowed to be nominated. No. And he definitely should not Wasn't have he, like, legally won. not allowed in the country? Exactly. <laughs> like, they had to accept it in absentia because he wasn't allowed. Take this Oscar. We'll ship it to you. <laughs> Wherever you're in exile. And there, has, oh. and there has actually been discussion on having that redacted mm-hmm. and having him, like, like to strike it out just... But it's never, nothing's ever come of it. No. Yeah. Ah, yes. I well, blocked that from my memory Shame. because I didn't want it. Yeah. I don't uh, want justice, it in my head. Justice for Rob Marshall. Okay, so here's a question that I have. Because I was, as I was watching this movie, going through, trying to figure out a best line and a worst line, which is an impossible task for this movie because it's so tight. What's your mm-hmm. favorite song production in this movie because i every oh. single one i was like oh this is my favorite and then the next one yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh this one's my favorite <laughs> like i don't have yeah, one that's... that i was like this is one that i could do without actually the, the one scene and this is just like my own personal i just it just makes me sad like i will not watch the scene where they hang the Oh, I know. I just, I won't watch it. It's a beautifully done scene. It's, it's so well shot and it's like the ballet of it all. The Hunyak scene. It's gorgeous. Um, But I just, it just makes me so sad. And the juxtaposition is so brilliant of the white clapping and and cheering and and then the, and then the gray, sad death scene. It's honestly, it's so chilling. It's so well done. I mean, so I will watch it. It just is like, oh, it breaks my heart. Um, but like everything mm-hmm. else, it's like, oh, this is so fun. I love this so much. Mm-hmm. Um, every number is my favorite. I, I think, I guess the ones that are is iconic. Cellblock Tango is, is truly the choreography too. The, cinema, yeah. the cinematography mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When it opens yeah. up and you have the layers of like the dirty bum 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 bum, and they actually oh, yeah. and, tango, like, dancing with the which ki- I love. like yes, <laughs> cinematography when there's dancing involved, oh. I feel like it's hard. It's just, like its own, it's its yeah. own, like it's another level. I also, like, don't think I appreciated Razzle Dazzle as much when I was a kid. Like, I thought the song was fine. I loved but, that one when I was but, like, younger. That production is so good. Let's talk about after Razzle Dazzle, though. The tap dance. The tap dance. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> hot. Yes. So, Seriously. So hot. Yeah, I, I definitely found myself Sexy. watching it going like, so, oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I remember being in the theater being like, okay, now I understand Richard Gere. Like, yeah, exactly. I get right. the Richard Gere thing. Because, right. like, okay. I, you know, my I would have gone with my mom, and my mom would have been like, Richard Gere, pretty woman. Oh, he's sexy or whatever. And then I'm like, okay. Right. Then I see him tap dance, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's sexy. He's mm-hmm. very sexy. Yeah. <laughs> As he's, like, pulling the collar. Dance. and Oh, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. What was interesting to me, um... Rob Marshall was talking about when uh, they filmed that, like, he didn't know exactly what the rhythm of it was going to be, like, the rhythm of the actual tap dance in terms of it being cut with the dialogue. Like, that was all figured out afterwards. Mm-hmm. So they, like, filmed it. He, he had, like, all of these numbers, he had, like, one afternoon to film, like, an entire musical number, which is insane. And that was one of them. Like, he, they shot the tap dance in an afternoon. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. You're telling me... <laughs> That each of these musical numbers were done in a day? 
Not every single one. Okay. okay. But uh, one of them was, this was one of them. Oh, okay. And what was the that other one? That makes um, some sense to me. No, there was... Uh, but I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, Roxy. The song Roxy was shot in a day. Holy which shit. Which I don't even understand. I don't understand that either. He said, he said an afternoon. I don't even, I can't even wrap my head around that. Like, watching it, every shot that they have, I'm like, that's physically with, impossible. Wait, like, you with have, the like, mirrors? There's so many shots that had to be set up like that. How could that With the, the mirrors and the, they the reflection yeah. and the... Yeah. No, they had actually a very small budget to make this movie. I think that that's something that people don't wow. like, necessarily know because it was such a hit. But at the time, no, Moulin Rouge hadn't come out yet. Like, nobody knew that this was going to be a hit. It was seen as, like, very risky. Well, yeah, so oh, they, yeah I, I can they understand actually that. Had, like, way Absolutely. less time and way less money to make a lot of these numbers than you would guess looking at it. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And that's then they of- made... I mean, we. I said earlier, this movie was in the theaters for a long time. They made three hundred million dollars. I just and ha- the the budget for this just movie, in the theaters. Yes, the budget for this movie was forty five million dollars. Holy shit! This is wow. That is. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a That's lot of money, a but that is success. That is it's no. A, no, it's that is not. tiny. It's tiny. For looking at tiny. It, it's especially size. looking at it, it looks so expensive. Looks so, yes, it and does. like, think about the actors they got. Like, one of those yeah. actors could cost forty-five million dollars today, which is like, yeah, absolutely, yeah, a lot. <laughs> Maybe not forty-five, but like the like oh, your actor budget. Your actor budget could be forty-five million dollars for that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, totally. That was their, yeah. that's unreal. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I did not realize that at all. That just blew my mind. That just makes I me knew. appreciate the movie even more though. Cause it looks, but that's, totally. that goes to like the theater. It goes to the theater background though, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Like you're used to making things you work. You have to with, make it work. Uh-huh. Right. With, and, with what you have. And I think actually sometimes having less time and less money can bring out the best in yes. people. That it's like, okay, we got to make this work. We got to get it done. Like that little bit of pressure right. can sometimes actually be good, be good creatively, I think. Well, and making like what we, what we see as an issue, I think, in a lot of our modern movies, especially a lot of the genre blockbuster stuff is like that, what that d- did to this movie was make it rely on the performance. And that is very mm-hmm. much a stage thing. Like, we're not going mm-hmm. to make it rely on some big technical stuff mm-hmm. because we don't get to have a lot of that for budget reasons and for the fact, you know, we don't get to have a lot of illusions and, you know, technical things like that on the stage. And so this movie didn't really get to have yeah. a lot of that. And so it was like, well, then you're going to have to make each scene about the performance, the number, the song, the dance, and it's better. Mm. It's better that way. We haven't talked as much about, um, we've talked about Catherine Zeta-Jones, who I think is just like, I mean, to me, she steals the movie. Like, I think every scene she is in, like, even if she just has a, hey, kid, like, some advice, like, she steals every scene she's in. But it's all of the, like, other players, too. Mm-hmm. Like Queen, I mean Queen Latifah is excellent, oh, love and incredible. Love, love, love. Um, Christine Baranski. I think that was my. This was my second introduction to Christine Baranski. My first being The Grinch. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> my first introduction to Christine Baranski was The Birdcage. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That probably was my. But, I, but I don't you think probably I didn't see The Birdcage when you were like before oh, this. Oh no, cause... I probably did. 
you've met my mother. I probably did. Um, or I was like, going to say, I probably made you watch it when you were like 10 years old. If you ever came to my house, I was probably like, let's watch Birdcage. No, I'm sure I, 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 I bet my parents, I, I'm sure my parents were watching the bird. We, I'm sure we watched the Birdcage before this came out. Um, but that also could be true. Um, but I probably didn't register that it was Christine Bransky, but right. like her as Mary Wait, Sunshine. Who is she in that? Is she the, is she she's the, the mother? Mom? Yeah. Okay. She's only in like yeah. two scenes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I need to rewatch that. Another I good one. I remember that being her. Um, but like, she's excellent as Mary Sunshine. And it's so funny because now she plays a very different character often, but she's so good as Mary Sunshine. I mean, Tay Diggs just has to like show up and smile. And he, this was the mm. beginning of my like, Tay Diggs, yeah. deep, 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 one-sided love affair. Um, that <laughs> is still continued to this day, quite frankly. Like, it hasn't gone away. I, I don't always think about him, but then, like, I turn this movie on, and I'm like, oh, God, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Tay Diggs. That voice. That, that velvet smile. Voice. Oh. oh, my God. Mm. Yeah, he really is kind of the glue that holds everything together, like, <laughs> The, the, yeah. He like lubricates all those transitions, you know. <laughs> I love using the word lubricates in the same sentence. As Tay Diggs. I do too. I'm not mad about this. Um, but like, I mean, it just... but it's like all of those. Like, he does, he doesn't say much in this movie, and his lines are not like anything profound. But like the way he does them, it's like, ladies and gentlemen, a tap dance. There's this part that I never noticed, and it just killed me this time when she's singing um, Funny Honey and she starts to get mad because he's ratting on her and she's like getting ready to stand up and she shoves a foot on his shoulder and he just doesn't move. (laughs) I love it. It's so good. That's so good. Like just, you know, he's just a piece of furniture when he's at the piano. I love Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he gives this kind of punctuation to each number as we go into it that I think Again, it's easy to just be like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Like, you don't really notice it. But if that wasn't there, I don't know if it would work as well right. as it does. Well, and right. it also is a, is the transition from the real world to the dream world. Because he only mm-hmm. exists in the dream world. And it's, uh, well, I mean, he exists in all that jazz as the band leader. But then he exists only in the dream world. And her audition. And her audition. Yeah. Like, my favorite transition, I think, of his is, I mean, and there are so many good ones, is Miss um, Velma Kelly in an act. In an act, of desperation. desperation and it's it's, so it's the pauses that he takes in that line that line works because of how he says it ladies and gentlemen miss velma kelly in an act of, of desperation like it's, it's that play on act of desperation but also an act mm-hmm. and she's performing mm-hmm. this act and it is an act of desperation it's so so smart I mean, I didn't even consider that as like one of my best lines because it, I like, almost doesn't... did. But... Really? <laughs> I almost did just because I've always loved it. And it's so it's it is exactly line. what you're saying. Like, it's such a good there's so much wordplay in the lyrics and in the dialogue that in this movie yeah. that is just so genius. Yeah. And of course, the, the, the lyrics are Candor and Ebb, who are just, I mean, genius, 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 genius. Um, so the, those lyrics are them. And brilliant um, so do you have a favorite lyric do i have a favorite not necessarily lyric? best oh my god this is so hard i i mean I you don't, don't have know. to have a reason for it i just 
Like, I'll tell you mine. Awesome. And this What's has your been, favorite like, lyric? my favorite lyric since I saw this movie. I don't know if I have a great reason for it, other than I just love the wordplay. I love the, the delivery. I love, I just love it. And kind of all of this song fits into this, but this is the line that, like, I think of all the time. And it's, um, they say that life is tit for tat, and that's the way I live. So I deserve a lot of tat for what I've got to give. <laughs> and I've always, <laughs> like, just, I love that. That, that whole song is so amazing. Like, all of the wordplay in it is incredible. Stace, do you have a favorite lyric? Oh, so, I mean, my best line, I think, could technically be, it's spoken, so I'm calling it a line, but it could technically be a lyric, so I'm going to save that. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. Oh. Well, you're an actor, so I definitely know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, it's hard to, like you were saying, everything is so watertight, it's kind of hard to pick. It's like, like you were saying, every number watching it, I was like, oh, this is my favorite number. Yeah. Um, and then the next one would start and it'd be like, oh, no, but this, this is my one, favorite. Yeah. This one is really it. <laughs> <This one's> <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Do you do you have one? I'm going to keep I'm going to keep. Thinking I know. It's like this is like choosing a favorite lyric, I think, is really hard. And in some ways, I think some of my favorite lyrics come from the song that got cut from the movie, which is class. Like, I think I'm so. That is the one thing that I wish they kept in the original edit of the movie. Is I like I think there's so many good lines in class. Like nobody has class anymore, and you're like there's it's 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 so yeah. ironic because these two women who are criminals are singing about like how the world's gone to hell, and yeah, everyone you meet is a snake in the grass. Um, and I'm messing up the lyrics because I didn't write them down. I think my favorite lyric. I'm debating if it's something from All That Jazz because All That Jazz just like sets up the movie so mm-hmm. well. The whole, um, no, I'm no one's wife, but oh, I love my life after she's just killed mm-hmm. her husband. Um, and right. All That Jazz. Oh, it's that's like, a really good it's one. It's such yeah. a good lyric there. I mean, you have Cell Block Tango. He had it coming. Who only had himself to blame is if you'd have been there, if you've heard it, if like that is the justification for all of them. I mean, that is the justification mm-hmm. for all of them in the movie mm-hmm. is he had it coming. Um, but I think the one, I think I'm going to go with, I have to go with Mama Morton's song as my favorite lyrics. Um, Cause it's just so, so, so fun. I mean, I say that now I'm like, Oh, or do I want to choose something from they both reach for the gun? Because I just love oh, the, that's good too. All of the lyrics in this movie are just so good. But the one that I wrote down as like, I just love that I love lyric. the, and we're talking about Tay Diggs intros. I love the intro to that song too. Of they both Mr. Billy again. Flynn in the press conference rack. rack. Notice how his <laughs> mouth never, never moves. Never move. Almost. Almost. <laughs> That's probably my favorite number. If we're talking about yes. like things in terms oh, of like a the, big the number. in the background. Yes. The choreography, so the, the way that it's, like juxtaposed in the movie, just how catchy the music is, how quickly it moves with so many moving parts. And then the way mm-hmm. that it's staged at the end, like with 
I like the way that it's staged with her being like the ventriloquist dummy. It's but then so how they, smart. But then in the movie, mm-hmm. how they add the extra layer of him being like the puppeteer of everything. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, right. so, so good. That's probably my favorite number. Yes. I mean, I love every number in this show, in this movie. But like that one, I think just to me is the epitome of like a Broadway number, but then like they add all these layers to it with that they could only do with film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In terms of favorite number, I have to say shout out to Mr. Cellophane. Oh, Uh, I was just going to talk about that with lyrics too. Love it. It is just so heartbreaking. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to me how well that works because it's such a 180 from the rest of the, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of the tempo and everything, like it's very different from all the other numbers. And it's this kind of like sad, well, you know, and how, ballad almost. Yeah. But it super works. I think somehow the, the placement he of it. He performs the hell out of it too. Oh, like, oh my God. God. John, John C. Riley is just incredible in this I, movie. His whole performance. Yeah. It's so, so good. Like I just. It, it, it truly, it truly breaks your heart. Like he brings such an earnestness. And then when he just belts out this song and the way that it's shot with the silhouettes and everything, like, oh my God, mm-hmm. it's just, to me, it's like that scene in isolation, you could just take it by itself as a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, so good. Um, I think, yeah. And the way that Which, they set him up too, as like a clown, like it, it's yeah. still that mm-hmm. performance that like kind of very sad mm-hmm. clown. It's just so yeah. exactly good. Well, right. Cause when he comes mm-hmm. into the office and Billy's being all, you know, flippant about the whole thing. Like, I just want to let you know that people might be laughing at you because they can do the math that it's not your mm-hmm. kid. And like, yeah, it definitely sets him up as this like sad, sad clown type character which brings me let's get into the lines which sort of brings me to the topic of my worst line okay is that the very not the very very end but very close to the end when amos finds out that she was not pregnant mm-hmm. and like the, there's this weird thing that roxy like assumes he would know that yeah and also she says so he says, like, something about her coming home because of the baby, and she says, what do you take me for? There ain't no baby. So first of all, and she says it to him, the delivery is, like, you idiot, you should know there's no baby. How would he know that? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, he hasn't been talking to you. You haven't been telling him. Nobody's told him. In fact, Billy mm-hmm. called him into his office to tell him that you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then, like, this, what do you take me for? Well his wife that's what like this person that she becomes in in everything that like happens after she shoots fred casely is a person he does not know yes and so he doesn't so he thinks he has a a wife i mean for lack of a better term normal wife Mm -hmm. (laughs) a housewife at home who at some point would probably have his child I can't imagine there was a, there was in this day and age that Roxy would have been like, I don't want children, you know, it just wasn't the Mm -hmm. norm. So like, it's, it's Mm -hmm. a, it's all very natural assumptions for him to make. Mm -hmm. And so the way that she like treats him, like he's an idiot for not knowing that she wasn't pregnant and wouldn't want his child is like 
so weird to me. And she's, like, so mean. She has several moments in her in her stardom where she is, like, just freaking rotten. Mean. And I yes. get it. I get that. But, like, it just seemed really out of place in the moment. I, I don't know. I guess she I... had to get rid of Amos. Like, she just had to get rid of him. But, like, I don't know. The, the whole assumption that, like, he is an idiot for not knowing is so out of place because he has every reason to believe that she is pregnant and that they would have a child. Well, I, I feel like it demonstrates how he's kind of the only, like, not rotten person yeah. Yeah. that we have in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's the person who's like, okay, but so we're going to go and be happy now because you got out of jail, right. right? That's great. And she's like, they didn't want my picture. And yeah. he just, just, like, just kind of backs out of the room and she's just like, in her world, like, I just can't understand that. And he's just yeah. like, okay, I'm going to go. Like that, I, I do think that it's, I, I get what you're saying, that it feels like really harsh. Yes. But I, yeah. I feel like that's sort of how she always is with Amos. Like right. when, the, when we see her with him at the beginning, she's just like, it's all about her. It's all about her and it's all about her stardom. Right. And I think the baby lie to Roxy is like this genius move that she made. You know, mm-hmm. like it's this. It's, it's what gets this, her like, attention again. smart tactic that she took. And so for him to just be like buying it. I, I yeah I think, I think it's, it's interesting the, the phrasing of like what do you take what do you me take for? me for like do you not see like what I'm doing do you not see yeah. how great I am like I came up with that and you're just you, you just think that that was real yeah like she kind of has no patience for for right. his um, gullibility yeah yeah no it I can see like where it makes sense it's just so like quick and slapped in there and like makes yeah. all these assumptions and like we said you have to do that like you have to keep right. it moving we've got still you know 10 minutes of musical number to get through so right, um right. but yeah like i don't know something about it this time i was just like you are his wife that's what he takes you for <laughs> what kind of a question yeah. is this right Mm-hmm. So that was my Absolutely. worst, and I had to nitpick hard. I had to nitpick yeah. so hard. And there was another one that he says, like, when he it's about the baby again, and he shows up, and he's like, it's me, it's daddy. And I'm like, no, you're the daddy, but you're not daddy. <laughs> he says it, like, three times. He's, like, daddy, chasing after the I know, paddy wagon so or whatever. Sad. And he's like, it's me, it's daddy. I'm like, don't say that. That's not. Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, Stacy, do you have a worse line? So I also had to get super nitpicky. Same. Um, I I have two that I was debating. One of them is fully a lyric. It's like fully sung. Okay. And the other one is a line. So the 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 lyric one is the one that I'm actually much more mad about. So <laughs> I consider that my worst line. But the the worst actual lyric line I like that it. I that I had. It's um it's hard because I don't actually disagree with the line. Like I wouldn't necessarily change it, but it was the only line that I was kind of like, "Oh, I have some feelings about it." That's yeah. Um and it was uh here's a piece of advice direct from me to you, lay off the caramel. I yes. did not like that one either. That was that was the one that I was like it's it's not necessary. That was mine as well. Because it's just like, mm-hmm. well, kind of to your point, Jessica, about the um, the baby thing. It's like it's really, really harsh. Yeah. And I actually, I think that that works. And I wouldn't. That's, that's why I say like I wouldn't change it. And I actually like, in terms of that scene where um, 
where Velma is kind of trying to like butter her up and and it begins with her offering her chocolates Mm -hmm. and for the scene to end going back to the chocolates with her just fully rejecting her it's like this little cherry on top like and also you know yeah to me the line itself is not like the 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 movie isn't making any kind of comment about anybody's weight it's just showing roxy knows that this is a dig that's really gonna hurt so it's really just saying more about Roxy than anything else. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do think that it works. Yes. And I do like the symmetry of that. Yeah. Um, like having the scene come full circle back to that. But so like in terms of the line in isolation in the script, I think it's a good line. In terms of the context of it being 2002. Yep. And Renee Zellweger, you know, I, I think it was talked about a lot at the time how like, oh, she gained She's... all this weight for... For Bridget, Bridget Jones. Jones, and then she's so skinny. She in was this and scary, blah, blah, blah. scary skinny in this movie. Yeah. And you don't and see it all the time, was... but like at the in the final number, it's like, oh my god. Well, and then having yeah. Catherine Zeta Jones standing next to her, right? Is mm-hmm. and Catherine Zeta Jones is like a a thin, uh, granted, also pregnant, but like she is a like normal sized human being. Yeah. yeah. And like yeah. the the ju- I I remember having that thought at the end of the movie, being like. Like having the two of them stand next to each other, like Renee Zellweger is waif like. Yeah, and I also feel like I remember what it was like at that time in particular, like mm-hmm. the movies of the early 2000s. I think especially there was just so much fat phobia. Yes. In the in pop culture at large. And it's not like there time. isn't. Not now, like there but... isn't still, but it was really bad. Like you really? go back and watch movies from well, that era. From that era, it is and like. It was painful. Speaking yeah. of, like, Bridget Jones, she's, like, when every time she writes her weight, it's, like, 130 pounds. It's, like, are you yeah, kidding? Yeah, Bridget Jones. She's, like, she 134 is, pounds, like, which I'm is, like, obviously, you know. Yeah. I'm, like, are you so, kidding me? Yeah. Anyway, she is, like, a completely digress. normal, like, completely yeah. normal weight. Completely normal. If normal not, like, figure. Thin. And, mm-hmm. like, yeah, and she's, like, fat. And the whole thing yeah. about Bridget Jones is that she's chubby. Oh, God. <sighs> That didn't right. age and well. for that to be Renee Zellweger's uh, last movie, I'm assuming it was her last movie released before this came. Or I, I there think was a so. year in between the release, so I don't Probably. know if she had any other films in between. But certainly, it was the biggest movie that she'd done in recent memory when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. And for her to have lost such a drastic amount of weight, and then be making this dig yeah. at another character yeah. about her weight. The context of that, like I said, the line itself, I don't think is offensive. Right. Yeah. But in that context, oh, it's it hits different. I think yeah. that's what's one of the hard things. We often, Jessica and I often say this, and I think we say this in every episode that we do a movie that came out like old, quote unquote older, which this now is, or is set in a time. Like one of the one of the lines that I like bristled at, and this was like when Billy Flynn is talking to Amos on the stand, he's like. Are you, do you mean to say you slept next to this woman every night without exercising your right as a husband? Right. And like that. Oh, yeah. Like perfectly that, normal. For perfectly the context, normal for the absolutely. context of the movie. It is yeah. 1920. <laughs> Marital rape laws aren't a thing. Um, like <laughs> that is a that is a very um, like in context of the movie. Yeah. Or in context of, I mean, in context of 2002, that would not be a line that somebody would write. But in context of, it is set in ni- the 1920s. That line is 
a good line. And I sat there mm-hmm. and was like, ooh, mm-hmm. that's uh But also the implications of it are that like he has to because we know that he hasn't. Right. But he has to like on the stand in front of people, he mm-hmm. knows he has to say that he has. So mm-hmm. it is it's like both sides of it. It's like the pressures on women back then to just be a wife in this like sexual contract way. But then mm-hmm. also that a man who isn't regularly having sex somehow isn't a man. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, again, so not a bad line yeah. for the movie. And I just sat there was like, Ooh, bristled a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally that was agree. also probably one of those lines that, I mean, definitely one of those lines. The first time I saw the movie, like went whoosh, like completely right. over the, the other, the other, there was another moment that I caught this time. And I think probably the last time too, because it's so subtle and, definitely would not have caught this when I was 12, 13 was when they go to the doctor and well, doctor, yep, I just she? caught that this time. Yeah, and he says, your flies down. And it's flies like, down. Oh, he says, he says, yeah. Will you swear to that in court? in court? And he says, yes. And then he goes, good. Your flies down. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my God, yeah. she slept with him. Mm-hmm. No, I fully missed that yeah. too. Yes. And watching it this Definitely time, I was like, oh, because I do remember as a kid being kind of confused, like, oh, but the, but doctor, the doctor said, like, is she pregnant? No, but she definitely just made that up. So what? Right. Well, and then, and, then, and like, yeah. I feel like in another time, like, had I not put that together, my worst line could have been, your fly is down, because like, as a kid, it didn't make sense. As a kid, it no didn't way. make sense. And it was like, is this just like something funny to add in here? Like, ha ha, your flies down, dude. But no, now mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, no, that's fully necessary for the story. Like, yeah, they, yeah. They, fully they really do give you why. exactly enough to put it together. Like in the background, she's we see her like putting yep. her uh-huh. her clothes back which on, makes, which, which also in the context of a medical examination also makes still sense. makes sense. Makes sense. But mm-hmm. The you know it's it really is like a little too subtle I think for a child baby which is but probably good. Is like absolutely the right amount yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and so like I like I I caught that this time I was like I mean when I first saw this movie if I was to choose a worse line that would have been it but now I'm like no that is necessary for the movie like absolutely right. necessary okay so yeah. what was your worst lyric Stace okay um you can like the life you're living. You can live the life you like. You can even marry Harry, but mess around with Ike. (laughs) Look. And that's good, isn't it? This is the final number of the movie. This is the finale. (laughs) Like, who are these people? This doesn't mean anything. This line means literally nothing. It's so true. I I understand. Like, my conception of this line is that it's Tom, Dick, and Harry, whoever. It's just, a bit, it's not about anything. Right. Why can't it be about something? <laughs> this has just always bothered me. There's something about the final number that I, that just, like, if it's, anything falls flat in this movie, it's the final number. It's my least favorite a, number in the movie. Yep. A, mm-hmm. they're doing, like, the most simple Charleston moves ever. Like, we've seen what Catherine Zeta-Jones can do. We know that her act was crazy acrobatics and things like that and like no the i don't expect eagle. them to go do that but like i expect more than than a little bit of charleston and flapper skirting and then this the final line of the movie the final spoken line of the movie i didn't choose it as my worst line because i don't i don't want to choose a worst line based on the performance like the line read of it but it is one of the worst line reads in a 
very, in like an almost perfect film, when Roxy yells, thank you, we couldn't have done it oh. without all of you. And I'm like, <laughs> all they did was buy tickets for tonight. Like, I don't get it. And the way she says it is, like, this terrible mid-range of, like, shouting and fake shouting. Okay, I'm actually... And there's no inflection in it. It's so, like, awkwardly monotone mid-shout. Oh, it bothers me. I could not make myself pick it. Because you know I guess I am gonna... it's, a, it's a typical thing to say, I guess. Thank you. We couldn't have done it without you. Like, that's a typical thing to say. But the way that she delivers it and it, the fact that it's the last line and it's just kind of like, Bleh. Well, and then, like, you have, like, all of the people. And, and this is where the fantasy and reality kind of blur here is like you have Mama Morton dressed up, like, super nice, like, laughing in the audience next to Billy Flynn. And, like, it's just like that one. Mm. Like that's where she my didn't re- have a night off. I know. I, I guess true. It just seems maybe. Maybe. I mean, she did. She did earn quite a bit of money on the. There you uh, go. So maybe. Okay. <laughs> I, I take that back. I take that one back. Okay. So, so a lot of wrong numbers she dials. A lot of wrong. <laughs> I actually wrote that down as like what? I, not my best line, but like one of my I favorite lines of like fifty bucks for a phone for a call. call. You must get a lot of wrong numbers, Mama. Yeah. Um, And again, line read from Catherine Zeta-Jones is just amazing. What were, like, what were your best lines? Because this was, again, this was hard. Okay, so I have, like, five highlighted, and I'm going to let you guys go first. And if there's one that you didn't pick, then I'll choose that. (laughs) Okay, Stace, go for it. Okay, mine is definitive. It is, I'm a star. And the audience loves me, and I love them, and they love me for loving them, and I love them for loving me, and we love each other, and that's because none of us got got enough love in our childhood, and that's showbiz. Kid. (laughs) Great line. Why was that your best line? It's so good. Truly, like, just... So fun, such a journey, and also so true. And it truly, to me, says the movie. Yeah. Like, that is the movie. It's all in that line. And it's hilarious, and I love it. And I love her delivery of it as she's walking on the hands. And it just, the narcissism yes. of it. Well, and yeah, like, I love that choreography. Of like, yes, I am trying to fill a void within me that will yeah. never be filled. And it's great well, and you love yeah. it <laughs> i do love that bit of choreography too like you said like she's walking on hands people. she's literally <laughs> walking on people which is like mm-hmm. the thing that you yeah. always say you're not supposed to do you're not supposed to walk all over people no matter how big right. of a star you get and like one thing we haven't touched on at all in this discussion of this movie is all of these people are very messed up and sort of terrible. <laughs> right. I feel like that just didn't need to be said. It's a given. I know. They are murderers. <laughs> and we, we are think they've done nothing wrong because we are he had it coming. So hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I am so There are a lot of movies where I'm like, I don't want this terrible person to win, even though they're like sort of the protagonist. I'm like, make mm-hmm. them pay for whatever crappy thing they did, you know, walking all over people. But this movie, I'm like, he had it coming. 
Oh my god. <laughs> she has... They have good voices. Just let them go do their acts. Come on. I know. I mean, like, I, I totally buy... <laughs> and then I completely blacked out. I can't remember a thing. It wasn't even till later when I was washing the blood off my hands that I even knew they were dead. Like, I buy dead. it. Yes. She didn't... Like, they... Veronica and Charlie doing number 17, The Spread Eagle. I come back, open the door, and there's Veronica and Charlie doing number 17, The Spread Eagle. Um, it's such good. It's such good. <laughs> the, every, side note, I saw, I saw a meme that was like, from some from some drag queen that I follow, that like they shared it. It was like, I was in a deli and... And somebody, and they yelled out number 17, and some other guy yelled the out, spread the spread eagle! And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm like, that is just so good. I just want that to be my life. Somebody to yell number 17 in a deli, and somebody go, the spread eagle. <laughs> because that is, anyway. You know that, that they had been waiting the number for 17 it. shall be known as. You know that that person who eagle. did it had been <laughs> waiting for it. Like, now how you're going to wait for it. Yeah, they exactly. had been waiting for years. <laughs> it's just one of those magical moments that you cannot predict. But, like, it's... I don't even know. Like, But I, like, as you said, like, I'm cheering for them. Like, yeah, I want Velma to get... Like, yes, Velma killed her sister and her, and her husband. And I think she right. should go free. For sure. Well, also, yeah. her sister and her husband were probably also terrible people. Yeah, they were like, having an affair. I'm obviously. also a terrible person. Like, I'm not really concerned about him being dead. Well, and, like, <laughs> the only, as you said, the only, like, good person in this movie is Amos. And no. I'm not rooting for him. No. Like, I feel bad I mean, for him, but yeah, I, well, I don't want him. him to end up with Roxy. Exactly. Right? I don't want him yeah. to get what he wants, because he wants to end up with Roxy. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. No. And so I'm like, I like, I, I like feel bad for him. I like don't hate him, but I don't mm-hmm. want him to get his want, because that means right. Roxy doesn't get hers. But there's like this implication that if you're good if you're a good person that you're naive and you can't, you can't make it in this world. Like you just won't make it in Chicago. Right. Well, you won't. Mm-hmm. okay. So that actually does. Then and, that, go... and that's kind of like, and we see Roxy too, like start as this really naive person and then very much not naive anymore. Well, and she, mm-hmm. but she has, she has moments of that. One of my favorite lines too is like, you'll be habitating down in the East block murderers row. We call it. And she goes, is that nicer? Is that nicer? <laughs> she has so many of those, like what uh, or like oblivious. So she, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, you're praying you're to, the wrong to the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> or she says, "My God, that's good." Leave and out he's God. Like, Leave out God. You should stick to stay what where you you're know. better. Stay, stay where you're better acquainted. acquainted. Yeah. So good. Um, I wrote down both of yep, those lines. here. <laughs> I have or, them on my list. Or the other. She has moments of that naivete, like, throughout. Like, that's just, it still hold on. Which is, like, what makes her defense plausible. Like, that's why he creates that defense. That defense would never have worked for Felma, but it works for Roxy. But my mm-hmm. favorite, like, one of my favorite line reads is the moment of, like, are you, like the diary that, like, she might not, my client would never have kept it or whatever Billy Flynn says. And she, yeah. then she just goes, yeah. And she, and she broke the lock. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I, to go to your point about like, you can't make it in this world. If 
you're not, you don't have a little bit of that edge. That's where my best lines come in. And both, and the, the two that I wrote down, um, are from the same character and I did not expect, actually, I did know. I, I had an idea of both of these lines were going to be what I was thinking of, um, before I watched the movie and they're both from Billy Flynn. And okay, I so you're going to knock two off my list. Yep. <laughs> here. And, um, and I can't decide between the two. One of them is, one of them is you're a phony celebrity. You're a flash in the plant, a pan in a couple of weeks. No one's going to give a shit about you. That's Chicago. That's not one of mine. That goes to the point of like the, um, this is just a, like the, this world just keeps on going and it's whatever. I don't think mm-hmm. that's, I don't think that's the one that I'm going to say is my ultimate best line. And that's why I read that one first, because that is my, like, I think there is a lot of like the core of that movie in that line. But I think the second Mm -hmm. line is more of what the whole movie is about, which is, believe me, you've got nothing to worry about. It's all a circus, a three ring circus, these trials, the whole world, it's all show business. And Mm -hmm. that is to, to go to Stacy's line Roxy's in this, and that showbiz kid. Mm-hmm. Billy is putting. Billy is confirming that for her. The whole world is. We're mm-hmm. all just acting on stage. The trials. The whole world. It's mm-hmm. just show business, and it also proves that conceit of her being in her showbiz world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think, like, so that would be mm-hmm. my best line in the movie: is it's all show business. It's well, Mama Morton says something really early on, too, that's very similar. Relax. I mean, in this town, murder's a form of entertainment. Yeah, it, it's it's a nice echo, I would say, uh, almost like an evolution of Roxy's line. Like, that's showbiz. She is just talking about literal show business, being a performer. And Billy is then yep. taking that and applying that to everything. It, that's how the world is, right. which to your point, is is kind of what this movie is about. It's like, yeah, everything is a performance in Roxy's imagination, but also And that's why I think those two lines pair together to me. The first one, like, that's like, nobody's going to care about you. Like, the world keeps on moving. It's an act. There's always something new and bigger and more flashy. That's Chicago. But it's Well, one of the ones that I had, too, is like when when she get, is upset because they don't want her picture, she's just been declared innocent. Mm-hmm. And she does not care. Yeah, this and is she's like, "Why? Why do? Why don't they want to talk to me? Why don't they want my picture?" And he's like, miffed that she's not even saying mm-hmm. thank you. To yeah, him. I wrote this down too. And mm-hmm. he says, "It's Chicago. Mm-hmm. Can't beat fresh blood on the walls." Yep, I wrote that. And, one down and then too. the other line, the final line that I had as a front runner, I'd say that my, I would have chose what you chose, Melanie. I think it's all a circus, a three ring circus. That's all. Yeah these trials, the whole world, it's all show business. But he has another line when they're arguing and she fires him like the night Mm -hmm. before the trial. And she's like, have you seen these people? Have you seen the papers? They love me. And he said, they love you a lot more. If you were hanged, do you know why it would sell more papers? papers. Mm -hmm. And I I love his, You I, treat me like I'm some dumb common criminal. He goes, but you are. You are a dumb common, dumb common criminal. criminal. <laughs> like his liar, you are a dumb common criminal. And he's yeah. just so smart too. He's, so, he's good. so good. He's so good. But you love him too. I love the line about um, selling more papers because, I mean, the whole movie is so cynical, but it's like, in a way, he's he's doing her a favor by kind of warning her, like, this is not real love. Yeah. Like, what yeah. you're experiencing, it's going to be gone in five seconds. And I, I love the scene when they're reunited right before the trial. 
um, where she says that she's scared mm-hmm. and all of this stuff about like, oh, it's all showbiz. He's really saying to comfort mm-hmm. her and to kind of prepare her so that she can actually go out on the stand. And there's something like weirdly sweet about it, actually, that he's just like, oh, just don't even worry about it. Like, you'll just, you know, go do, you know, go do your dance and and they're going to buy it and it's going to be great. And no one's even going to remember. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting that you just you said that this movie is so cynical because you're right. There, There is so much cynicism in this. As we we've just saying, we're cheering for the we're cheering for the murderers. We want them. We we are accepting this world where fresh blood on the wall is Chicago. You know, we're accepting this world that Mm -hmm. is the good guy who is just trying to make an honest living is the putts. Like it's just not really the world that we want to live in, but it also has this like brilliantly shiny. And that's again, going back to the direction you have the juxtaposition of the real world and these like grays and it's dark and kind of seedy. And then you have this like very, optimistic showbiz world mm-hmm. of this shiny you can make yourself something and like you can get to go to Stacy's line I love them and they love me for loving them it's like you can make yourself something you can make yourself a star and it's interesting because it's I feel like it was topical at the time because we had several things in like the mid to late 90s that were or just we'll just say the '90s in general that really were um, objects of fascination. But I see it even more so now, and so this movie like seems almost more relevant in the commentary of like our our collective fascination with crime, you know. And mm-hmm. so I think and like, fame and fame, right, right. But like, I I, I never would have predicted like the the mainstream boom in like true crime and and it's such Mm -hmm. a big thing but what that says and like what he's trying to tell her too is like it's so you're a character in a story they don't care they just want to get to the end of the story right and Mm -hmm. and so to stop seeing herself as something that they actually identify with or see as anything other than a commodity to their entertainment and it is very strange to me to watch. Like, I don't, I've said it probably multiple times in this podcast. I don't do the true crime stuff. Um, mm. <laughs> I get it. I get why people are interested in it because it is a story. It's a mystery. You want to see how it ends. And it is like this real life thing. So we get even more attached to like real things. They seem more tangible. But yeah, it's like, it is very weird to me that like people have favorite serial killers and and there is this like fascination that occasionally borders on it, it, it occasionally seems to me like acceptance and I know it's not but it's like we I don't know the correct word for it but like yeah it seems like the more we get all jazzed up about it I see what you did there. It almost like glamorizes yeah, it. Yeah, it is yeah. definitely glamorizing yeah. it. And I know that that's nobody's intent. And if you would like, when you talk to people, that's not how it is. But it seems like the collective, the collective um, fascination with it. And then how the media, mm-hmm. like media presents it in a way that is total glamorization and total, they're just buying into it because they know that like, 
that's how we want to consume it. Or they think that's how most people want to consume it. And it's just, yeah, it is, it's, it is very strange to me. And then watching this movie, I was very much like, yeah, we really do have like this odd, sometimes often like really positive fascination with crime, uh, especially murder. Well, and and that's nothing new. I mean, no, it's not. But, like I mean, this movie is set in the 1920s. Well, it's nothing new. And, right. like, I mean, this obviously, this movie makes light of a lot of that kind of fascination of it. With, but yeah. it doesn't make light of it. It, like, puts it in a very glamorous way. But it also has that kind of commentary of, like... Yeah. When you're watching this movie, you definitely I, have multiple moments where you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, when they're buying her lingerie at the auction, you're just like, right. excuse me. Right. And the dolls, the dolls, the, um, and then, like, the girl takes the doll, and they're like, don't get any ideas. What? Right. <laughs> that, this like, is not that okay. real um, thing, <laughs> yeah. I think, is, like, a really smart yeah, device that they use in there to just demonstrate, like, her star is rising, and this is what's actually happening. And, I mean, you had mentioned, Jessica, this the last line at the end where uh, she's talking to the audience, and she says, like, oh, Velma and I, we couldn't have done it without you. I do think that that line is trying to kind of make that point right. of like reflecting back to the audience, like, Oh, but you know, you, you, you bought it or you, you know, right. you love it. Like this is why right. we do this is because oh. it sells and because it works. I agree with you that I think my issue with the line is more that I don't know if it's necessary to like spell it right. out that That's much. That's my issue with it. It's kind of there. It's like this little button at the end, like, Oh, well we couldn't do it without you, but I, I don't know if it needed to be yeah. there, but I do think that that's kind of what they're, getting at with that is like oh we do have this weird fascination mm-hmm. with like corrupt twisted people. well and yeah. i mean like just thinking about yeah just thinking about the whole i'm now thinking about like i i do find a fascination with true crime like not in the same way like i'm not like on the like i don't have a favorite serial killer at all although ted bundy not i'm not going to say he's my favorite serial killer <laughs> but ted bundy did go to puget sound and they let you know that very early when you start there um he did not graduate from puget sound but he did attend puget sound um but like i do find true crime really interesting like i listen to true crime podcasts oh, it's totally he's, interesting it's, yeah this is a fascinating story mm-hmm. but it's like there's so much problem behind it too because these are real people's lives and it's really like yeah. It is such a, like, problematic form of entertainment. And especially when you think about, like, you know, there's so much, and this is another podcast or another thing to get into, but there's so much, like, in, like, public killings have been entertainment for yeah. so long, for so, so long. Like, executions are things, it's so problematic. And there's, like, when you get into, like, all the, like, racist elements of it, too, it becomes very, like... It is a very problematic thing, and it's especially the way the media frenzy around a lot of that happens. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think actually Chicago does touch on this a little bit with the Hunyak. Yeah, like she's the only one who's innocent, and because mm-hmm. she doesn't have the money mm-hmm. for her defense, she doesn't have, she doesn't speak English. She can't speak like, English. Right. Can't speak English. Mm-hmm. Like she, she's the one who is hanged. Mm-hmm. When you have these these really ruthless and it's a women spectacle just because of its novelty because right. they don't normally hang women but it's at, a spectacle in chicago mm-hmm. so it's, it's a, but it's a spectacle anyway because it's that like but that's how these things have like i mean for centuries you think about like european history and everything like 
this is not mm-hmm. anything new. They're like, right. you know, come up and so if they get there. Yeah, public, public exactly. Um, and there's so mm-hmm. many, like, this is scratching the surface of it and we don't have time. But like, there's so much in that whole spectacle too that is really problematic. And I think Chicago doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, that's not the point of this movie. Obviously, there's a lot of entertainment here. But you do have a tinge of like, there's a problem with it. Like you have a lot of like the, it is a campy musical, but then when you ground it in the reality of like the mirror of the problem of like the frenzy that is around yeah, crime and murder and violence. Mm-hmm. On that note, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't. Let's go back to the musical. Let's heavy. go back to music. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry to bring that in. Um, no, but I, I think it's interesting because I've never thought about Chicago as a satire. But now that we're talking that about this, so... I think that's actually yeah. what it is. I mean, because we have this fascination with criminals, but we don't think of them as being like, like these are caricatures. Yes. Right. Oh, very much so. And they're so rotten that it's actually endearing and it's actually funny. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is... You know, I I think that's kind of how satire works. It's just like, oh, turn it, you know, make it cartoonish to the point that it becomes ridiculous. But actually, if you were to scale that down a little bit, it is actually something pretty recognizable as like what actually happens Mm -hmm. today. Right. There's a lot of comment. There's a lot of commentary in this in a Mm -hmm. seemingly silly musical. I could watch this movie again and again and again Mm -hmm. and again. I'm so glad that, like, when we watched it, Jessica, it had been the first time that I watched it in a while. And I think I said to you, too, in 2020, being like, why have I not watched this every week for yeah. since it came out? I had the same thought re-watching it. I was like, why haven't I? Why am I not driving around? I think, just... I, I think I was so obsessed with mm-hmm. it at the time that I, you know, you just kind of think like, oh, yeah, I've seen it a million times. Like, I don't need to watch it again. But re-watching it now, I was like, wow, this is, this it holds up so much and you really just want to jump right. right back in as soon as it ends. We could probably talk about our favorite bits of this for a very, very long time. Any last thoughts about Chicago? I'm a fan. Lifelong, lifelong fan. You know, I don't think I have anything to improve upon that statement. I am also <laughs> a fan. <laughs> Um, Stacy, thank yeah, you so much got, for joining we've us. We've got a new member to the um, to the Chicago fan club now that we started twenty years ago. Yes, We're, we can add Jessica to our trio. Yes, um, yes welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, Stacy, thank you so much for joining us. Do you have anything that you would like to plug, or if where people can find you? Um, thank you so much for having me. This was a delight, and. Uh, yeah, if people want to, they can find me at um, Double Exposure is my uh, movie podcast. It is on all major podcast platforms. Can you give us a brief like synopsis of your your movie podcast, Ben? We, we just do a deep dive discussion on one film per episode. We kind of take turns. Um, our most recent episode, which should be coming out later this month, uh, was Network by Cindy Lumet, mm. uh, which is one of my all-time favorites. We've done Moonstruck. Um, oh, we've one. done Ice White Shut. It's, it's, you know, in terms of Ooh. genre, it's kind of all over the place, but we just kind of go 
we go hard on whatever movie is is interesting to us. All right. And where can people find you if you want them to? I don't really have. I don't really have a social double ex- Great double exposure. That's that's double healthy. Exposure. It's the pod. <laughs> Jess, you just had a book come out. Yeah. Yes, I did a book and. And there's an audiobook version as well, narrated by myself. So, yeah, check it out. It, it is a middle grade uh, fantasy. There are two books in this series. So, um, if you just enjoy like lighthearted, fun fantasy, uh, adults, any age would enjoy this. But if you know any children who are looking for something to read, um, I've gotten fantastic feedback from adults who have given this as a gift to children. Um, they said the kids just eat it up, love it. Um, so if you're trying to get, you know, maybe a reader who isn't really connecting maybe with what's being given in school, this would be just an awesome, uh, introduction to maybe like fun reading, free reading. Yeah. It's just really fun. It's super fun. And the name of this book again, is uh, this series is the powers. Uh-huh. And the second book that just released is Haven's Legacy. You can find Best Line, Worst Line wherever you get your podcasts. Um, please rate, review, give us a like, uh, tell your friends. You can follow us on Instagram at Best Line, Worst Line. And we have a website, bestlineworstline.com. And uh, we'll be back. Yes, Thanks thank you, Stacy. And uh, anytime you want to come back, you just let us know. You pick a movie, oh, we'll, we'll so be ready. Much, guys. Yeah, I'm just putting it out in the universe. If you ever want to do an episode about Bridget Jones' diary, I've got there my best go. line, line ready to go. All right, all right. Um, I haven't watched that one in a long time. I feel like so we'd have I, to do yeah. number one and number two. Number one and number two, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, nobody has to twist my arm for Colin Firth. Or Hugh Grant. We're going to do some Colin Firth here sometime. I think. Yeah, I think we have to. Uh, We're going to do Colin Firth. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. That's our first t-shirt. We're going to do Colin Firth. <laughs> <laughs> on that Where note, do I sign? Like, <laughs> have a great week.